You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. It's July 6th, it's Wednesday, and it is a wild Wednesday in what should be a sleepy time. Nine weeks out from the conservative leadership race, everything's changed. Ka-boom. Kaboom. Late last night, around midnight, the conservative leadership election organizing committee puts out a statement by its spokesperson, Ian Brody, and they say Patrick Brown is out. Done. Disqualified. Patrick Brown's out. Nine weeks out. One of the leading candidates, Pat Brown, has been booted out. According to the party, the Leadership Election Organizing Committee Chair Ian Brody, in recent weeks, the party became aware of serious allegations of wrongdoing by the Patrick Brown campaign that appear to violate the financial provisions of the Election Canada Act following our rules and procedures from the 2022 leadership. The chief returning officer notified the Brown campaign of the allegations, asked for a written response. He withheld the interim membership list. The informed data provided by the Brown campaign did not satisfy concerns about their compliance with their rules and procedures and or the Elections Canada Act. And we have therefore recommended that the Leadership Organizing Committee disqualify Patrick Brown. And earlier tonight, they agreed to do so. Boom. Gone. So what happened? So I get this stuff, and I reach out to Pat Brown. And Pat Brown is in New Brunswick campaigning. And he's on a flight back home. So at like 1 in the morning, Pat pings me, and I ping him back, and we say, well, it's getting late. Let's talk early this morning, which we do. So I talk to Patrick Brown, and he tells me, without hesitation, in his view, this is an egregious abuse of democracy in the process, in the party. I'm quoting him. And he called this politically corrupt. Politically corrupt. So I said, why don't you come on uh, CTV with me this morning and do the first interview you've done? And he said, yes. And I said, why don't you come on the Evan Solomon Show at noon across the country? And we'll talk about this as well. And you could take phone calls from our listeners who want to know. Because I'm committed to transparency. You say you are. Let's do it. You want to talk to people? Talk to them directly. So he's going to do it. So I just spent 20 minutes on CTV News, on News Channel. I've tweeted them out. You can check out the the links. And and I went over the entire allegations with Pat Brown, his first extensive uh, interview about this. And in seven minutes, he's going to join us on this program. I'm going to talk to him, and you can call him. Now, I don't want people calling that are just going to yell at him. You, You want real questions. You can ask him anything. You can ask him... Is this political corruption? You can ask him, did anyone, as I've asked him, the allegations are that somebody paid, was paid to work on your campaign. That's the allegation. And he talked about it with me. 
that campaign costs and expenses were paid by some corporation to a member of his campaign. He denies it. He said he doesn't even know the allegation. Maybe you want to ask him about his past. Pierre Polyev has already tweeted out a statement saying that this is typical, that Pat Brown is calling himself a victim. I'll read it to you. I'll read it to Pierre Polyev. I'll read it to Pat Brown. The, the Polyev camp says Brown was disqualified because of credible accusations that he violated the financial provisions of the Canada Elections Act. Now, again, Pat Brown told me there's not credible. They're anonymous. He says he doesn't even know what they are. And he thinks it's unfair. And again, Pat Brown told me, and he'll tell you, he just told me 10 minutes ago on air, on television, it's, it's, he believes his disqualification was the Pierre Polyev party establishment, his words, and a politically corrupt process to stack the decks and remove him from the race because they were threatened by him, because he called them out, and that his supporters, the Polyev supporters, this is Brown's allegations. We don't have any proof of this. That the Pierre Polyev supporters somehow concocted this accusation to remove him from the race. And he's thinking about challenging it. Polyev has hit back. This is not the first time Patrick's been disqualified from running for public office for reasons of ethical impropriety. The Ontario PC party disqualified him from running as a local candidate. His conduct over the years has demonstrated he's the kind of person who will say and do anything to win. Yesterday, Polyev's team writes, was the latest chapter in a career defined by scandals, inquiries, and criminal investigations related to political activities. They talk about the Ontario Integrity Commissioner finding him guilty of breaching ethics rules, including some kind of scheme to cover up receiving, this is their words, $375,000 loan to backstop his mortgage from a would-be Ontario PC candidate. I've asked Pat Brown about that. And then they finally say in the hours since, Patrick Brown, they say, has lashed out at our campaign and our party. As always, when caught, Patrick tries to make himself into the victim, but ultimately the only person responsible for his disqualification, is himself. So the Pierre Polyev camp is saying, I'm going to punch all the way. This is dirty brown, always dirty, and he's still dirty. The brown camp says, how would you even know what the allegations are? We don't. This is a dirty party and a corrupt, politically corrupt party and process that is stacking the decks for, for Pierre Polyev. What does this say and what is it, why does this matter? What does this tell us And why does this matter? Well, first, and Patrick Brown is going to jump on. I got about three minutes here. We're going to take a break, and Pat Brown's going to jump on and take your calls. So we've got a very special edition of the Evan Solomon Show today. As I always say, the players making the news jump on this program and and give you a shot to really hear them. No spin, no BS, no, like, you can get it. And then we we can have at it. But what does this tell us and why does it matter? It tells us two things. One, this is not just a nasty race about the soul of the Conservative Party, where Pierre Polyev has called uh, Brown and Sheree liars and liberals and vice versa. This is about trust. How does, you know, we all walk around, why does nobody trust that the election process? Why did no one trust politicians? Why does no one trust governments? Why does no one trust anything? Why do we have conspiracy theories? Well, just look at us. 
You've got Patrick Brown now alleging that the conservative race is politically corrupt. If he doesn't trust it, why should voters? Why should conservatives? Why should citizens? He's running to lead it. Pierre Polyev says he's a liar. He's a corrupt person. Well, why should anyone then? It's no longer enough to say my idea is better than yours. My idea will work better than yours. My idea will lift up citizens more than yours. My idea will be more effective than yours. My idea will bring more prosperity than yours. My idea will raise the quality of life than yours. My idea will make people healthier than yours. My idea will get people working. My idea will help the poor. My idea will help the vulnerable. My idea will help the rich. Doesn't matter. Now it's, you're a liar. You don't belong. Get out. The process is corrupt. Donald Trump said the process was corrupt. That's the big lie there. Now this process is corrupt. We're looking at the Assembly of First Nations right now where the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, who I also had an exclusive interview with, Roseanne Archibald, told me that party, that the AFN is corrupt. And she's rooting out corruption, that she doesn't trust the process and that they're trying to remove her because she's trying to root out corruption and they're corrupt. Why should anyone trust anything when the very people at the heart of our biggest political systems are alleging corruption? The average person saying, well, if they're saying it's corrupt, we should. We are throwing around terms with very little evidence and we are building up scar tissue. If you want to make an allegation, you've got to prove it. And this goes to the Conservative Party. You've made a very serious allegation about Brown, and you've disqualified him. But guess what we have not seen? The evidence. And we need to see it badly. Patrick Brown next. Instant access to real people. Real stories. The Evan Solomon Show is on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. The biggest political story of the night, the day, happened late into the night um, when the leadership organizing committee of the Conservative Party announced to my shock, and I think to everyone's shock, including the Brown campaign, that Patrick Brown had just suddenly been disqualified. And they say that they are disqualifying him for various reasons, including credible allegations that he'd violated the financial provisions of the Canada Elections Act. Uh, Patrick Brown is joining me now. I've spoken to him exclusively on CTV News Network, but he's agreed to join us here on the Evan Solomon Show across the country and then take some calls. First of all, I know it's a tricky time. I don't know how much time you've got, Pat Brown, but I really appreciate uh, you joining us. Um, Thanks again. I know you're you're, you're back in Brampton right now. Um, Pat Brown, uh, in recent weeks... um, the, the Leadership Election Organizing Committee disqualified you, saying that they became aware of serious allegations of wrongdoing by your campaign that they believe violated the financial provisions of the Canada Elections Act. They say they provided you with information and you, your campaign responded in a way that, quote, did not satisfy concerns about their compliance with our rules and procedures or the Canada Elections Act. And they disqualified you. What do you make of that? And what is your reaction? Well, first of all, this is an egregious abuse of our of our democracy. Um, let's call a spade a spade. Uh, we had signed up 150,000 plus Canadians, largely from diverse communities, 
um, and they've been disenfranchised. And they've been disenfranchised um, on a made-up reason because the party establishment um, was worried uh, that their choice, um, Pierre Polyev, um, was uh, facing a difficult path to September 10th. Um, it is very disappointing. The allegation was that there is an anonymous individual who said they were being paid by a corporation to work on the campaign. You know, we have 1,800 volunteers working on the campaign. Um, that we asked for a name, we asked for um, a company. The party wouldn't provide any details. It's impossible to respond to a phantom um, allegation. This was the party looking for a reason to disqualify my candidacy um, because they were worried um, uh, about Pierre Polyev. And frankly, it was Pierre Polyev supporters that were the ones pushing for this. Okay, I'm speaking to Patrick Brown. Let me just go back. When exactly were you aware of an, some kind of allegation? And you and I have spoken twice today, Mr. Brown. Um, when was your campaign aware? Because the the, the, concert, the the leadership organizing committee says in a couple of weeks ago, they said, we got in a serious allegation. We got to investigate. One of your guys is being paid by a corporation. And did they give you the name of the guy? And what back and forth happened? Because they alleged your campaign did not provide enough information. And that's why it hits the threshold of disqualification that you've somehow violated the Canada Elections Act. Well, there's no information provided by the party. That's why we couldn't um, respond. We said, if you give us the name of the individual, the name of the company, we can look into it. If there was someone that was coming to our campaign office during their work hours, we would compensate the the, um, the business if there was any hours um, that they were working when on our campaign when they were supposed to be at work. But the, the reality is, how do you respond to, to a ghost. Uh, no name of the company, no name of the, of the individual. It was an ominous allegation, and um, really it, it's something that um, is so that. Did you ask? Did you say, we like, did. hey, you of guys course. are going to disqualify me over this, and you didn't even give me the name of the company, the name of the person? So you, you hadn't, your campaign never had an opportunity, you're saying, to, to uh, try to investigate this? Or, and I just want to, on the record, were you aware of any allegations within your party no. or any concerns of no. something improper happening? No. No, no information was provided. We were completely uh, bewildered. Um, and of course, if there was one of our volunteers that was being um, paid by a corporation, we would have immediately um, uh, addressed it. We want to be completely in line with um, the rules of the party and, and Canada's Elections Act. But, you know, Evan, that's not what this is about. The reason that Pierre Polyev is running um, a sea of attack ads in Toronto on television, a very expensive media market, is because he's worried about my campaign. Uh, he realizes, Pierre Polyev supporters realized, with the massive number of memberships that we signed up across um, Canada and with Jean Charest's strength in Quebec, that he was on verge of losing this. And um, I just never thought that his campaign, his supporters, would go to this extraordinary um, length to disenfranchise so many um, new members of the Conservative Party. But how, okay, you use the word <clears throat> politically corrupt to me. And what does that mean when you say, like, are you saying Ian Brody, who, who is the chair of the Leadership Election Organizing Committee, and, and the 11 that voted to disqualify you are in the pocket of Pierre Polyev, and they've concocted fictitious allegations to remove you improperly and in some corrupt manner? Is that the allegation? I think they certainly uh, wielded influence on their supporters uh, on Leoc, um to achieve their goal, which was to have me 
out of the race. And, you know, I know I was asking Pierre tough questions, and I know it was uncomfortable for the Polyev campaign. I did not shy away, Evan, as you know, when it came to his cryptocurrency policy where he said he could opt out of inflation. I was the first one to call him out and say he was wrong, and that was financially illiterate. His association with Pat King, uh, that video of him with Pat King, I called out and saying the Conservative Party should never uh, play footsie with intolerance and hate, and what Pat King has said is, is, is vile. I've challenged Pierre Polyev on his past vote uh, denying Islamophobia, and they may not I, I know I make them uncomfortable. I challenge some of the orthodoxy in the Conservative Party. But a Pierre Pauly of... Um, but that's not corruption. Are you saying that you were so threatening that instead of just winning fair and square, you know, running ads, beating you, signing up more members, that they're now um, jigging the process, rejigging the process, corrupting the process, just they're so desperate to get you out and that the, the leadership organizing committee, I'm just trying to get this straight, is corrupted enough that they're just using... You're saying a bogus allegation to boot you out of the race? Evan, have you ever heard um, of someone being disqualified, a, a, a leading contender for a national leadership, uh, on an allegation that is anonymous and this flimsy? Well, and so you've never you, we've before. seen no, and, and I will say this, I've seen no evidence, but, but let me ask you, do we you have, well, do you have any evidence that, that the Polyev camp is behind this? Like now you're making counter allegations. What evidence do you have? Oh, very clearly, uh, the Pierre Pauli of um, uh, supporters are the ones uh, who are pushing this on Leoc, um, the same ones that were doing his bidding before. Um, and, uh, do you have evidence clearly, of that? Very clearly. Uh, the, the, his biggest supporters uh, on Leoc, and there are people you can talk to. Um, um, I know my campaign chair, John Reynolds, uh, um, would love to talk to you about uh, evidence he can share that uh, Pierre Pauli of's campaign was um, the one behind this. Uh, okay, now, Mr. Polyev's camp, and I've reached out to them, as you know, but, but they say that you're just making yourself out as the victim, that you always do. Uh, you know, they've long said, and they, they put out a long statement saying, yeah, Brown's got a long history of lying and corruption, and, they, and, and I've read all this on air, and I've read it to you on, on CTV, um, and that you're just making yourself out to be the victim. What is your response to their allegation that we've seen this movie before with Brown, that's why we're not surprised. Then why are they so desperate to get me out of the race? Why are they only running attack commercials on TV against me? Evan, you don't do that. You don't spend hundreds of thousands of dollars um, on TV ads unless you're nervous. We made them nervous. We challenged um, Pierre Polyev's um, obscure, um, odd, uh, ludicrous uh, policy positions. And I don't think his campaign liked that. You know, obviously, he's been avoiding television interviews, debates with other candidates because he's found them uncomfortable. But it's not good for the party not to have a free and fair election. But Leave like, it up to the members. But people, people, I, I know you're with me. Like you said, this video of Pierre with Pat King. I, I know many years ago there was a video of Andrew Shearer and Pat and and. and and Pierre probably ever was standing in the background, but I didn't see any on this trucker convoy. I didn't see any video of Pierre and, and Pat King. So, you know, Pierre has said that Pat King wasn't part of the trucker's convoy. We just saw in the court documents that came out this week that clearly he was. You know, he was the administrator of the Facebook group. He was involved in those early uh, planning meetings. And so, you know, I, I don't shy away right. from, 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 from making um, these assertions. I don't okay, Pat, Pat, you, I mean, yeah. Pat, just I, I got 30 seconds. We're, yeah, we're, on, okay. we're on across the country. You've agreed to stay for one more block for calls, right? Is that I right? I've got about five more minutes left, Evan, if that's okay. 
Okay, um, so so we're going to take a short commercial break, and I hope we can, Pat Brown, I really appreciate you staying. Um, please call us at 1-855-633-1010 or 71010. Pat's uh, agreed to be transparent and take some calls next. If they said it, we'll call them on it. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Okay, guys, we have Patrick Brown here for like three minutes um, to take some calls. He's got, he's got a very busy day. Pat Brown, I really appreciate you doing this. I know callers across the country, 1-855-633-1010 or 71010. You can text me uh, or uh, anybody can call um, Patrick Brown, just just one last thing. I didn't get to ask you this before. What will you do now? How are you going to respond and will you fight this? And and folks, you have a minute to jump on at one eight five five six three three ten ten or seven ten ten to ask Patrick Brown a question. Well, we're going to uh, consult our legal options. Uh, obviously, a uh, political party doesn't have the same uh, requirements for uh, procedural fairness that may exist in, in other bodies. So we're going to get some legal advice and find out what the next uh, next step is. How are you feeling about all this? Like, this must, you must have been stunned. Well, disappointing. Um, you know, we put so much time into uh, bringing in new members into the party. Um, hey, Evan, uh, signing up 150,000-plus new members uh, was an extraordinary uh, task. And it was tough. It was tough being away from family. Um, I hate missing uh, bedtime. But we did it because we wanted to build a modern, inclusive, conservative party where it didn't matter who you love, where you're born, the color of your skin, what God you worship, everyone would feel comfortable in in a modern, uh, conservative party. And I'm disappointed that that opportunity has been taken from us. Okay, here, I got text pouring in here. Okay, you ready? Uh, Hey, thank you so much, Mr. Brown, for joining us as a longtime member of the Conservative Party. I voted for Mr. Brown as he campaigned as a social conservative. Uh, um, I'm, I'm sorry he supported the curriculum. So Donna says that, you know, she, she was concerned about it. But she said that Pierre, and then someone else says, Pierre Polyevra supporters have never viewed Mr. Brown as a contender. Brown's role is viewed by, as a disruptor to sign up new members who will inevitably go to Sheree. What, what is your response to those folks? Well, it, clearly um, they were threatened. You don't run uh, and purchase expensive TV ads in the most expensive media market in the country if you're not worried um, about someone else's uh, candidacy. We made them feel very uncomfortable. And we felt, based on our membership sign-ups, that we were going to beat them in every urban center in Canada, even Ottawa, even in Pierre's backyard, and that made them very worried. Okay, uh, I got so many calls here. They're just pouring in right now. Um, I'm going to try Mike. Real quick, Mike, what do you got? Mike in Oakville, what do you got? I'm Dan from Kitchener. Okay, Dan, Dan from Kitchener, what do you got? Well, I saw some stuff on YouTube, and there was something about a Rebel News thing. I wonder if Rebel News was involved in this by chance, uh, if Patrick knows anything about it. Okay, uh, Pat Brown? Yes, and, and first of all, you know, I've had a history of calling out Rebel Media for their history of Islamophobia, intolerance, and hate, and so I'm certainly... Uh, not someone that they support. They've been working very closely supporting Pierre Polyev's um, campaign, and they were one of the organizations that uh, lodged a complaint um, against me. Um, their complaint was false. It said that City of Brampton staff were working on my 
campaign during work hours, which was incorrect, but uh, the caller is absolutely correct. Uh, Rebel Media was part of this. And I have to say, you know, Aaron O'Toole, Andrew Shear refused to do media interviews with Rebel, given their history. Um, this is another example of how Pierre Pauly have you know, aside from wanting to ban childhood vaccines for polio and measles and his bizarre policy on cryptocurrency and his support for illegal blockades, this is yet another example of how he's unelectable. I, you know, Pat, Pat I know you got to go. I know you got to go. Yeah. Can I, do you have time for, like, Ann, I got 30 seconds. Go ahead, Ann, real quick, because Mr. Brown has to go. Ann, go yes. for it. Yes, thank you for taking my call. Um, Mr. Brown, are you suggesting then that Stephen Harper, if he's backing this establishment move, agrees with the Bitcoin policy, agrees with firing the Bank of Canada governor, and agrees with these freedom convoy extremists. Okay, Pat, last no, question. You know, I, I just say I, I don't think so. You know, I thought uh, Stephen Harper, Prime Minister Harper, was always more balanced when he was the leader of the Conservative Party. I don't think he would ever have adopted some of the extreme positions um, that, that Pierre Polyev has. I think this is... Um, uh, a leap for even the most extreme conservatives. This is more akin to Ted Cruz or Donald Trump. I know you have to go, Mr. Brown. Pat okay, Brown, I, so I, I know you got to jump. Thanks, man. Um, I'm going to take more calls, though. Uh, Pat, Pat's got to go. He spent a lot of time with us. Um, and uh, I just, those calls were a little uh, delayed getting through. And I hope you got that. Um, um, what do I got? Uh, Scott, you have some question. I know he's not there, but Scott, what, what were you going to ask him? Well, I, I saw the same thing the other person did, and they showed the employees' cars. They, they blocked out the license plate numbers, but they showed the employees' cars, and then they showed the employees' faces and, and listed what they did for the city and who they worked for. None of them have taken a leave of absence, and they're all up at this secret campaign place in Newmarket. I mean, what's going on with that? And then when none of us could go play hockey, everything was shut down, they got film of this guy with his hockey bag, and they were at the Brampton Arena playing hockey with all of his friends when the rest of us couldn't go. What you know? This, this I'm glad the conservatives got rid of this guy. This guy is nothing but trouble. Okay, I appreciate that. Now, now, and that may be your view. And, and look, there's a lot of people that want like the guy, and there are a lot of people that don't. There are a lot of supporters of Mr. Polyev or Mr. Sheree or Mr. Aitchison or Mr. Baber or Ms. Lewis. I totally understand that, uh, and and. And that's your right. That's what a leadership race is about. I like this person. I don't like this person. I guess my question is more important from a legal point of view, which is not who'd you vote for, or who's good for the party, or who's bad, or who's right. It's does is there any evidence that reaches the level to disqualify any candidate? And and what worries me here, folks. And again, I got no. I'm I'm not carrying water here, right? I'm not tying anyone's shoes here. My question is, if Brown is right, and this is what he alleges, he doesn't even know the evidence. He's got very little evidence of what took him out of the leadership race with pretty strong allegations. I've I've been speaking to the Polyev camp. They They don't know the evidence, they say. They obviously deny that they're behind some orchestration that he's alleging. By the way, I don't have any evidence from Mr. Brown, but he's saying he said that he's got one of his campaign people that will give me evidence of, of, of tampering. Fair enough. But let's see it. The first priority is 
If you're going to disqualify a leadership candidate and you're the leadership election organizing committee, show the evidence. You've got to see it. Otherwise, how do we trust it? It's just a bunch of spurious allegations that could be true or may not be true. How do we know? But the consequences are so fundamental. Brown is alleging it's corrupt. Brown is alleging he doesn't even know. Now, my question is until, and I could tell you honestly, I've spoken to Pat Brown. I've spoken to the Pierre Paul Yevkamp. I spoke, I connected with the president of the conservative party. Like I'm trying to get to the bottom. I haven't seen the evidence. There's not a single person I've spoken to who has. And that's what I'm trying to get at. Not whether you think Pat Brown should have been the leader or not. That's what the race is all about. What bugs me is that we don't know the evidence to knock someone out of a race. There should be a transparent, open process to say, this is what happened. Why are we speculating? It's unbelievable. Why does this happen in the middle of the night? So you get Brown saying it's corrupt. You get the other saying his, his, he's broken rules. Evan, I'm very upset. Why is the Conservative Party eating their own? This is uh, giving the vote to the Liberals. Uh, that's what Pat Brown told me. He said the big winner here is um, the Liberals. Now, some people support Brown. They say that, and I get it. Brown's got, he says, 150,000 members. Some say he's only got 60,000. I got to see the membership list. Pierre Polyev says he's got over 300,000. You got to see the membership list. I don't know how many charades got. Whatever it is, there's a lot of people interested in that party because there's hundreds and the, the party says there's about 650,000 new members. That's consequential. But if you're one of those members now, what the hell are you thinking? Can you trust the process? Was it corrupt? Do you care? Big deal. Now, I know we've got the war room, but I'm going to take texts and calls. I know Brown had to jump. Look, he's probably now, he spent a lot of time with us. But I'm trying to reach out to get the, the party to join us now so that we can get their view. But if you want to talk about, is this fair? Do you trust the process? Do you trust anything anymore? Is the conservative race trustworthy? one 633 or 7110. 1-855-633-1010 or 7110. Again, I'm trying to give you the every player that matters to you. Strong views, powerful opinions. The Evan Solomon Show continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Phone lines blowing up, 1-855-633-1010 or 7-1010. Why? Because last night, I hate cliches, as you know, so I'm not going to say political bombshell, explosive news. But it was a stunner. It was shocking. It was like the Northern Lights, like, boom, something happening, kaboom. Patrick Brown was disqualified, and he doesn't know why, he says. Now, as you know, the first place that Brown came to talk was on CTV News Network Me, and then he joined us right here on this program uh, to bring you the news. And it's really important that you know that people who are in the news, they come here so they want to talk to you because you matter. Why? You vote, you care, you give a damn. And they want to talk to you. They want to talk to folks in their car, in their offices, real folks, not just partisans. And they come here, and I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you listening. And I really appreciate that we get these people first for you. And it's important. 
And and then then the thing that I really appreciate is that I say I want you to take calls, not just have me and you. It's important. It's my job. But I want you to be able to take calls. And Pat Brown squeezed in a bunch of calls. And now I'm going to hear from you. And I'm trying to get the conservative party to to join us as well. one 1010 or 71010. I'm going to take some calls now because the text board's blowing up. Uh, what do I have here? I got Lance. What's cooking? Evan, I love your show and I love your political opinions. But uh, I, I told your screener there, I think the PC federal government is uh, is dysfunctional. Why is you know, that? They seem to, well, because they seem to get rid of whoever they want. And, you know, the same thing happened with Patrick Brown in Ontario. You know, Doug Ford got him out, and he was going to run for a regional district, and Doug Ford canceled that, so he had to run for mayor. I, I think he's a hitman. I think, you know what, I don't know. He's got a, a shadow on his back or something, but, mm. you know. Every time you know, he's about he's to a, grasp the brass ring, something happens. Okay, Lance, well, I, you know I, what? Yeah, go for it. He's a... He's a true PC supporter. I mean, you know, you know, and he, he's honest. Like, he'll tell you the truth. If I don't get the votes, I'll, I'll give my votes to somebody else. All right. Uh, thank you for that, um, Lance. I appreciate it. Um, John from Paris, what's up? Well, Evan, I actually uh, volunteered on Brown's campaign in the beginning. I left the campaign in late May. Um, I don't find him as genuine as a lot of other people do. Um, and I don't see where it is someone in the polyab camp. And I am not in the polyab camp. I'm not for a different candidate. Um, but I don't see that. Uh, his allegations are credible. And the fact the party is sending what they have to Elections Canada for further investigation to see if it um, meets the threshold of breaking the Canada Election Act suggests that there is a lot more smoke here and there's a fire. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and I don't know. Again, like, the way I look, I think does it reach, is the allegation credible enough to warrant an investigation from the smoke point of view, John? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I don't. Is there a fire there? Let's wait till the investigate. If the investigation finds a fire, we dump water on it. If there's no fire, you know, it may just be some burnt toast. I don't know, but uh, I appreciate the call. I think we got to be careful here. We got to can't get over our skis. We've got. Does this rise to the level of a transparent investigation? Yeah. Why is that? Why is that partisan? If there's credible allegations against Patrick Brown, let's see him. Let's not find out in the middle of the night. Up, oh, we've investigated. No one seems to know what the hell we're talking about. He's gone. It's like that—that's th- the night of long knives to me. And and unless they've got credible evidence, and I hope they sure do, how do people trust the process? And I think that's really important. Uh, George Chatham, what's up? Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Um, I was a card-carrying conservative going back to the days of Stephen Harper. I dropped out of the party because I got fed up with. Uh, just losing, 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 and donating money. Uh, the way I stand right now, I'm voting for whoever wins. I'm not getting involved. I'm not donating any money or getting involved. Whoever wins, wins. The issue with Patrick Brown is in Ontario, the Me Too movement went after him, remember? 
just before the election when Kathleen Wynne, we were up against Kathleen Wynne, and we had to, on the progressive conservative, Ontario, he got thrown out because of some allegation that goes back 20 years ago with some young lady. Who knows? So that's why, and I feel as though Brown is, again, damaged goods. So there's my point, okay? All right, George, I appreciate that. And, and, and there's a cynicism there, right? Like, people are like, I'm sick of it. And I appreciate that, George. Helen uh, from the Cap, what's going on? Hi. Um, I don't believe that uh, the fix is in on uh, uh, Patrick Brown. Uh, when the facts are out, then we'll know. But I certainly don't believe that the Conservative Party would risk so much by making these allegations if there's no basis for it. And while Patrick Brown said... He doesn't know anything about it. He's not admitting. Maybe he's not admitting to anything about it. Um, The person who said that they saw cars of the workers and everything and the other meetings that they had, I think there's something behind it. And I don't think the Conservative Party would put themselves out on a limb like this to uh, challenge Patrick Brown. First of all, he wouldn't have won. Well, we don't know. Like, I mean, again... I, I doubt that he would have won. Well, okay. maybe. I mean, you can. Yeah, and, and maybe not. And, you know, he may not have won. I have no idea. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I'll predict a lot of things, but not the future. And so uh, maybe maybe he would. Maybe he didn't. You know, no one predicted Andrew Shear was going to win. And no one predicted Aaron O'Toole was going to win. Like these races, because these are um, preferential ballots, they do have ways of surprising you. So I, I'm not going to predict that, Helen, but I, I appreciate the call. I got another John, this time in the beautiful city of Peterborough, Ontario, where the Canoe Museum is a wonderful place to visit, folks. Go visit your Canoe Museum in Peterborough. What's going on? Good day, Evan. Uh, my concern, I don't want to backtrack too far, but uh, I never i never had a, a reasonable explanation uh, from why Peter, P, uh, Patrick got uh, dropped from... Uh, the uh, the provincial uh, uh, situation, and so it's it's there. There's a lot of people heaping on because they're going, okay, yeah, pattern. You've mentioned that uh, in your commentary, and I never really heard anything that uh, about any specifics about that, why that was settled, or how it was settled, or whether there was truth to that, merit to that. And I think uh, you might want to spend 15 seconds uh, clarifying that. I appreciate the call. Yeah, we we have spent a lot of time in the past, and I've asked Patrick Brown about the allegations of the home. He he's been very open about that, and the Pierre Polyev camp has raised that uh, a lot. Uh, and just because I have about eighteen seconds here, but but I, I just want to assure you, I probably raised that with Pat Brown so many times that at one point he's saying, "You keep asking me the same questions about all those allegations." We have, and honestly, a quick Google, you you can see how all those things were resolved or not resolved. Um, I don't even know if I have time for one more call. I got about 30 seconds here. Uh, Mary, like, do you have a 10 second clip in you? What I want to say is the entire electoral process, uh, how, how Trudeau was able to, when he had such a minority, how he was able to, as a government, line up with the NDP and. Oh, Mary, I'm going to go. Oh, geez. I, I hate cutting you off. Um, that's not illegal. It's maybe unlikable, but it's not illegal. Let me, let me just take a quick break. Sorry, Mary. Listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this 
is The Evan Solomon Show. Just another day at the office. It's, you know, July 6th. Wow, nothing going on. There's nothing going on in politics, a sleepy day. Oh, except at midnight in the heat of the night, the night of long knife. Patrick Brown gets ousted. He's disqualified. The leadership election organizing committee says that um, he didn't provide enough information. And the, there's Elections Canada pursuits about financial impropriety. And I had an exclusive series of interviews with um, Pat Brown. And now it's time to get the war room. Let me be perfectly clear. Putting out misinformation. And we hear that. Misleading politics. What's really important here. Spreading it online. Unequivocally. The War Room. Tim Powers, Chairman of Summa Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data and Purveyor of Unbelievably Nice Beverages. <laughs> Melanie Parody, Conservative Strategist, former Senior Staffer to Aaron O'Toole, and she's just launched her own company. We call that entrepreneurship. We call that economic growth. And Zane Velja, Political Campaign Strategist and Partner at Northweather, always engaged in some personal growth, formerly worked with Calgary Mayor Nyad Nanchi and the Alberta Premier. Rachel Notley, just to not nothing going. I don't know what we are going to talk about. Tim, I'm going to start with you. I did speak with Patrick Brown yep. twice. I, I think you heard it. He, he was on this show. He was on. Uh, he blames Pierre Polyev. He says that his group and politically corrupt process and an undemocratic process. He's never seen the evidence. He was thrown out. And he's going to challenge it, but basically this is all the Pierre Polyev camp controlling the leadership committee and getting him out of the way because he was a threat to the political establishment. Tim. Oh, my Evan, so much there. Well, let me say this. I have been to some wild parties in my day and woken up the next morning and wondered, did it really happen? And I never would have expected this happened. Uh, this is this is a first, I think. I can't think of a time, Melanie and Zane may know better, when a leading candidate has been uh, disqualified very close to the finish line of the race. Now, one thing Patrick hasn't talked about, one thing that hasn't gotten a lot of exposition that I want to talk to here, which we'll get it dissecting this, is the people involved in this decision. Ian Brody, who you've referenced, whose name is quoted in that statement, who is a the, the chair, I believe, of LEOC, or a key figure in LEOC, the Leadership Election Organizing Committee, uh, is the person I trust most in all of this drama. He is a person of integrity. He's a person of intellect. He's also a person with a long history in the Conservative Party. He, nor Robert Batherson, the president of the party, equally a capable, bright person, are naive enough to assume they could just chuck uh, Patrick Brown out of the race and this would all go away. I have to believe that Ian Brody, Rob Batherson, and others did see and find something significant there because they know the impact of that. What's the impact of that, uh, which is this today? This is major brand damage to the Conservative Party. It makes the Conservative Party look weak, vulnerable, corrupt, incoherent at a time when they need none of that. And this last point I'd make, um, you know, this whole notion that Ian and or Rob or others would be patsies for Pierre Polyev. I'm sorry, Patrick. I find that argument hard to believe, given uh, the integrity of those two particular in individuals and their political history. So I understand why Patrick's making that argument, but I think it is an ineffective argument. Um, I'm in the war room with Zane Velji, Melanie Parody, and that was Tim Powers' exposition. 
everything you said I thought was brilliant, very beautiful analysis, although the thing I'm still most interested in is those wild parties that you can't remember that you went to. Like all the other well, stuff, I was like, that's interesting. Two beers, I'd like a little, than... some exposition on the early Tim Powers era. Uh, and we'll get to that. Mel Parody, uh, what, what's your take on Brown's allegations and the impact of this decision? Well, I, I think Tim gave a really great summary up top, and I agree with everything that, that he says, certainly about, about the character of the individuals involved here. I think it's important to, to remember. Um, but I also think that we need a lot more transparency. And while Tim's right, the, the arguments that Patrick Brown's team are putting forward may not uh, be particularly strong. The problem is they aren't being effectively challenged at this yeah. time. Um, there's no further information that's being released. I think that while I understand that sometimes these can be pretty sensitive matters, there's legal implications and, and all of that jazz, there's got to be a way to provide more information to paint a clear picture of what happened here um, and why did what happened rise to the level of disqualification, not just sanctioning, because this is a campaign who, in the days prior to this, had been sanctioned on some other matters. Um, specifically around questions of the use of money orders uh, and, and, and allegations of possibly repaying um, people's, people's purchases of their memberships. That had been dealt with in other ways by, by kind of purging those individuals from the list and sanctioning the, the campaign. That's my understanding of, of what's happened. But this particular incident that, that rose to, to Leoc last night um, is a different matter entirely and that's that's the one where I think it's, they've been too opaque, and it and they need to to share some more information. Mel, again, I thought you were great. I, I missed the part about your kind of sorted wild days. Like, <laughs> do you understand that <clears throat> to get your chips on the table here, the table stakes are you have to sort of insinuate that you had a different side before you were this. You have to well, say like Tim does, like hey, you don't remember uh, tons of my life. No, I don't but, even remember, but you know. Well, I do remember <laughs> other late night. Like eight late night um, oustings of Patrick Brown in, in my, in my <laughs> political career. Well this is not the first one. Well, well played. I remember some late night oustings of Tim Powers. Um, Zane, what's up? Uh, I've been uh, sitting all night uh, with my camping chair just waiting for these Calgary Stampede Patrick Brown meet and greets. I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be a barbecue meet and greet at the Don Hartman Sports Flex, six blocks away from my house. This is going to be excellent. What a what a disaster is my is my overall takeaway. And, and can I underline something Tim brought up? I don't think we fully grasped how bad this is for the Conservative Party of Canada. Let me put out a few scenarios or a few things we could see. Number one, Patrick Brown's going nowhere. He's going to be on the ballot. He may not be an official candidate, but he's going nowhere. Do you think he's going to go away quietly? 150,000 membership sales. Uh, he, he feels like the, the winds behind his back to, to ensure he writes his name again. He's going nowhere, and I think that he's now got two enemies, arguably. Pierre Polyer, obviously, as he talked to you about, Evan. But he very well, in the next couple of days, might have another enemy, which is a Conservative Party of Canada itself. If, he's, if he finds no recourse here, the fact is he's going to go up against this party, and I think he's going to go up against it hard. So to have that uh, as a residual over the summer is, is one thing. Secondly, the question is, you know, Pierre Polyever has taken a scorched earth approach to this campaign. We've talked about it many times on this program. Like, is this sustainable? And guess what? Patrick Brown's going to meet that fire with fire, especially now, especially if he's not a candidate, especially if he's got nothing to lose and everything to prove about his character. 
Expect dirt about Pierre Polyev. Should he have it? Expect the scorched earth to be met uh, on equal footing. So, you know, I don't think we fully grasp the significance of last night and how damaging this is to the Conservative Party of Canada going forward. Yeah, I, I agree I just, with you. Uh, go ahead, Mel. I just, I'm sorry, I need to jump in there and add that there's an important motivator here that we also haven't really started to, to unpack yet, and that's the amount of debt that Patrick Brown's campaign is going to be in that they will not be able to address. Because now that they've been disqualified, and uh, maybe you know, Tim or Zane, maybe you know more about this than I do, but I believe that that means that they can no longer um, process fundraising through the party um, to pay off the debts that, they ha- that they've acquired. And they would have booked, including um, at the Calgary Stampede, that barbecue that you're waiting to attend, they would have booked fundraisers for the next six to eight weeks and have been counting on that money to, to, to pay off um, the, the charges and the debts that they've, that they've accrued. And I don't think they have a way of doing that now. Let, let alone the staffing home. fees and all the folks right. that they have. And in fact, this, this is oh, very uh, well let, let's, yeah. let, let me just take a break and, and we can marinate on that because you know, Peter McKay was paying off yep. his leadership campaign for and, and still is. So that's a big thing. Uh, but the bill that Patrick Brown has to pay is coming, but the bill that the Conservative Party may have to pay. And I guess my mm. question as we go to the break is this. Is this distrust eventually going to consume the party? I mean, there's so much distrust anyway, but how much, how damaging is this level of distrust when you've got a major candidate alleging corruption? We'll be right back with The War Room. Time in your car doesn't have to be time wasted. Join the evolution of talk radio. This is The Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. So Pat Brown has been disqualified. I spoke to him on this program and on CTV. And and Chris, can you play um, uh, clip two of Pat Brown where he blames the party establishment for stacking the deck against him in favor of Pierre Polyev? Clearly, the party establishment wanted Pierre. I'm shocked that they would take lengths this extraordinary to rob members of the party of a democratic uh, election uh, based on um, an anonymous complaint that we have no information on. Anonymous complaint, stacked deck, politically corrupt, may challenge it. How, how damaging is the fact that, the, that Pat Brown in the middle of the night gets booted out of the party. He says he has no evidence. He says it's an anonymous complaint. Obviously, the leadership organizing committee uh, have some evidence. They haven't revealed it yet. No one seems to know anything except the race is on its head. And that's why you have the war room always standing by. They, you know, they could have been on a dock right now. They could have been riding a triple bike. Tim in the front, in the engine room, and then Mel, then Zane, or maybe Zane in the front. Who knows? I don't, I don't want to rank you guys, but Zane Velgin, Melanie Paradis, and Tim Powers. I only say that because my wife and I just bought a tandem bike. Oh, we know the tandem. Oh, oh goodness. 
Goodness. You guys don't know this. You don't know this, but he explained to me the other night how this is not a sign of you know some change brand of his. That this is yeah. legit, and this right, is right. this is real masculinity and and <laughs> athleticism. And I'm backing him. I'm giving him the right. opportunity to. Well, and Tim's explain. saying that Tammy and I have joined the circus, is what he's saying, and we we've learned how to juggle. <laughs> no, no. You know what the truth is? My wife, uh, who's very athletic and likes, uh, has uh, rheumatoid arthritis. She can't grip or bike with her hands anymore. Her hands just the the. the Medication. And so we, she misses cycling. So we rented a, a, a tandem. And though people laugh, you go very fast on these new things. And then for our anniversary, I bought us a tandem. And people just, when you would ride by in a tandem, they literally just smile. They think, oh my God, that couple are losers, but they don't no. care. You're, That's you're what so it says. Sync with each other. S- smiling on the outside, laughing on the inside. Evan. No, that's, hating that's, on the inside. Just like, break. Hate it, hate it. You, have to, you have to communicate. Anyway, I thought the three of you on a bike would be great. Uh, how Zane, I want to go back to you, Zane. How damaging, yeah. uh, because you were saying we're underestimating. There's Pat Brown making these like unbelievable allegations. The party's corrupt, and, Pat, yeah. and this is, they've got the thumb on the scale for Pierre, and, and you've all three talked about it. Let's talk about long-term damage. When someone wins this, Pierre or Sheree or whoever wins this thing, um, have has distrust become now? No one trusts anything anymore. It's just it's just random well, partisanship. How, how, let's try this frame out for size and, and and just you know interrupt me when I get on my my soapbox a, too, a bit too much. But uh, the Conservative Party of Canada is a Canadian institution, and you know while it's easy to say and easy for us to talk about the politics of it, who's up, who's down, what does this mm-hmm. mean, how does a vote split happen. Political parties aren't just private clubs that get to do their thing. They are the institutions that ultimately you need to be a part of to vote in, to lead, uh, to move, to be able to govern this country, to be able to, you know, have your, your hand on the wheel of our democracy. And so when we look at it through that lens, which I think it genuinely is that the Conservative Party of Canada is an institution and to have someone ring the alarm bell so aggressively saying this institution is corrupt. I mean, this has got, you know, regardless of what this means for the Conservative Party, this has got an institutional reverberation that leads into exactly what you're talking about, Evan, which is the distrust and mistrust of big institutions, big or small, and and people kind of turning to their social networks and and an increasingly smaller group of people that they now trust. So what was once a, a, a party that many thought was you know, disconnected from viability by selecting Pierre Polyev, which was already the track uh, and already the train on the track, so to speak, even prior to last night, now may look like it's an institution, not just a political party, disconnected from fairness. And I think that's got massive reverberations, not just for a political party, but from this broader democratic democracy conversation we're having. Wow, now that is a soapbox. By the way, that soapbox was so good, I think I'm going to buy Tammy a tandem soapbox, and then you can do it. Maybe you should get one with your wife. You, Zane, and your wife, you can have a tandem soapbox. But, but Zane, Zane's raising a real point. I think it's a point, by the way, the liberals face. I don't think this is exclusive to the conservatives. Yep. I think at the, at, at the yep. AFN, we're looking at the Assembly of First Nations, where the national chief is alleging corruption there, and they're trying to oust her. This notion that everyone, Donald Trump... You know, oh, I lost. It's corrupt. Uh, oh, I'm kicked out. It's corrupt. Oh, uh, someone like the idea. Of course, no one believes anything because the people involved in the systems are saying the systems are corrupt, Mel. Yeah, and we've we've seen polling uh, in in recent weeks that show that Canadians don't they don't trust anything anymore. They don't they don't trust the media to be unbiased. They don't trust their governments, the institutions, and this is just a the downward spiral that we're in. I think. 
the danger in the next couple of days in particular for the conservative party is here's a guy, Patrick Brown is look, there's, you can say a lot of negative things uh, about, about his history and, and past allegations and whatnot, but this is a powerful messenger. This is a person who is one of the most effective communicators I, I've ever seen in, mm-hmm. in, in conservative politics. He knows exactly what words to use, and he hits them all. He, he lands all of his messages, and he's going to do... Um, the interview that he did with you, he's going to do with everybody else today, and he'll keep doing it until people stop having him on, um, or until the party um, presents more information and, and provides some more transparency around what really happened to challenge what it is that he's saying. Because until then, we're kind of stuck in a Patrick, Patrick Brown vacuum. Yeah, this is I, not a great place to be. The party's got a. I mean, you know, whatever Brown is saying, uh, I, I'm with you, Mel. Uh, Tim. The party's got to put out the evidence. Like, I, I do not understand why they're letting these wild allegations soar around. No one knows who to trust. Like, if you kick a, part, a guy out, uh, content, you got to have, you got to show the goods and, and make sure people go, okay, like, here's the evidence, X, Y, Z, done, you're gone. Yeah, that's the obvious first big mistake. The party shouldn't have put this out last night uh, and then provided no follow-up. Again, it's not like Ian Brody and Rob Batherson are not competent and capable people who could stand there for half an hour, an hour, and walk through the rationale. That's the one opportunity the party has right now because, as Mel said, if this goes on for another day and Patrick somehow convinces people yet again that he's a victim, though I apologize to real victims out there, I don't believe Patrick is a victim, but if he somehow succeeds in doing this and the party keeps their head in the sand, shame on them because they have a fiduciary responsibility to the party because there is a winning moment in here. If the party can demonstrate the decision that they made was sound and legitimate and in the best interest of the values of the conservative party, despite the threat of lawsuit and the threat of, of, of political um, assault from Patrick Brown and others, that's a winning issue. They can turn this around and they need to do it. The last thing I'd say, Evan, could be really fascinating to see what Mr. Charest does. Last night, I think his team tweeted in support of we need to hear more. Mr. Charest arguably has an opportunity because because if you're on the outside looking in, you could say this looks like a conservative campus club when they used to have such things fighting amongst each other. Jean Charest, Scott Akinson, who have been trying to say that they are mature leaders, now have a chance to act if they responsibly respond to this. And maybe that helps the conservative party. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Boris Johnson has got, got people are leaving him in the U.K. And I'm like, God, uh, you, they don't know how to handle politics. And then you look here, it's like, oh, okay. Okay, well, careful what you say. Well, uh, you know, it's for Charest, it's, it's interesting because he's probably looking at the map, and last night was not a great news situation for him no. as it relates to the map, right? But to Tim's point, maybe his job, in some weird irony, is to lose yep. this race but be the biggest booster of democratic values and that this party still has integrity. And how does he do that knowing Pierre Polyever is going to ultimately soar to victory in this party? You know, yes, there's no love lost between Brown and Polyever, but it's not like Sheree and Polyever are like best friends chumming no. along either. So there's such a, a weird dynamic that Sheree might need to step into. I, I suspect part of him is saying, 
if I could escape this right now, not have to do this anymore, someone please find me the off ramp. Yeah. Do anything to do it. I, I, give me a tandem oh, yeah, he God. needs a tandem give bike. A tandem. You gotta Listen, but but the idea that the only way out is to be the noble loser. Oh God, Paula, Ugh, talk God. about pyrrhic victories. Uh, okay, uh, Zane Velji, Mel Parody, Tim Bart. That was great. Um, tandem bike, triple bike, quad bike. You know, <laughs> I like the idea. We all work I'll together. Guys a pancake. Be, Come to be, Calgary. Yeah, oh yeah. We, you could white hat us in, in Calgary as we're, we're newbies there. Although I've been white hatted. Hey, good luck at the Stampede. Mel, thanks so much. Timmy, great job. Uh, we'll be right back. We're talking AI next. You don't want to miss this. Where you meet the people behind the story. It's the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Look, stop worrying about Russia. Do you not understand that the real threat may be from artificial intelligence AI? The truth is, if you are in government, you got to realize there's multiple threats. There's Russia, and there's China, and there's the economy, and there's inflation, and yes, there is an existential catastrophe from AI. And this is happening in the U.S. and this is happening in the U.K. In fact, the Ministry of Defense in the U.K., they have an AI strategy and they flagged the existential risk a few days ago. And the people in the U.S. Senate Committee and Homeland Security did something back in June that has made our good friend Jeremy Harris, the co-founder of Aletheia AI, this AI safety company, and the host of the Wicked Good Toward Data Science podcast, say, finally, someone is listening. And Jeremy joins us now. Oh, my God. Good news on the AI frontiers that we didn't even know we needed. Yeah, what a great Jeremy impression you do, by the way. That was fantastic. That is exactly what I sounded like when I, when I read yeah, that. Yeah, give me the Jeremy Harris. You hear, <laughs> you hear the news about a bipartisan bill to ensure the federal government is preparing for a catastrophic AI risk. You hear the news and you're like, what? Well, okay, so do you, do you mind if I maybe just start? Because I, I think you put your, your finger on the problem really nicely there. But just kind of frame this a little bit for people might not have heard about this idea of like catastrophic risk from AI. Um, would it make sense to start with a little bit on that to, to kick things off? Do it, do it, do it. Give me the context. All right. So yeah, so, so there's this like, it's almost a paradox of AI really, where the more advanced our AI systems get, the harder it actually becomes to get them to do exactly what we want them to do. And that's actually because very clever AI systems will often they'll come up with these dangerously creative ways to accomplish the goals that we give them. And those ways can have very harmful side effects. So like imagine, for instance, you, you get this like super intelligent AI and you ask it to make you the richest person in the world, right? Seems like a pretty innocuous thing to do. Sounds like a good idea to me. And the AI goes, okay, I'll give you a dollar and I'll take away everyone else's money or right. I'll just kill everyone else and you'll be the richest person on earth by default, right? Both those strategies accomplish the objective that you gave the system, but in ways that just happen to be catastrophic and that nobody saw coming. So not saying this is literally what would happen, but just gives you kind of a rough idea of the, the kind of risk class that we're talking about with these increasingly creative AI solutions. Um, so the bill itself, I mean, we can get into the meat and potatoes of what it does, but it, it's designed to address this category of risk among other sort of global catastrophic risks as well. Okay, so then what did the governments do? So like there's a, and Jeremy, by the way, folks, Jeremy Harris of the Toward Data Science podcast and the uh, AI safety company, Aletheia, 
He's concerned about this. He's concerned not because AI is notoriously bad. It's going. It's here. It's bringing wonderful opportunities. But we have to have the social ingenuity to control this darn thing and to make sure it serves us, not vice versa. And there's some kind of bipartisan bill. Like the U.S. is taking this seriously. This is not like, hey, let's go watch a, I, you know, a movie based on an Isaac Asimov novel and fantasize about it. Like it's so happening that there's a the laws here. What is the law? What is the bipartisan bill? Right. So, and, and you're absolutely right, by the way. I mean, when you talk to folks at cutting edge research labs, the ones that are defining the cutting edge of AI today, this is the stuff that really keeps them up at night in many cases. So the, the bill itself this is a bipartisan bill, and it's called the Global Catastrophic Risk Mitigation Act. It was introduced by two senators. Catchy, by the way. Super catchy. Yeah, right, right. I know it, right? I, I wish I'd come up with it myself. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, it's, uh, it was introduced by this Republican Senator Rod Portman and Democratic Senator Gary Peters. And Gary Peters actually is really interesting because he's the chairman of the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs, which is where this thing has been referred to. So he's a very influential senator, and that kind of makes this more exciting. This thing really might have legs. Um, and it makes two recommendations. The first is to set up an interagency committee on risk assessment. It looks at a whole variety of potential global catastrophic risks, but AI really seems to be in the crosshairs here as kind of the main source of risk that this kind of bill description calls out. And so this is really important because it centralizes the government's response, right? Today, if you look at how the Canadian and the American government's dealing with AI risk, it's this like siloed thing where people are playing these games of whack-a-mole and trying to come up with piecemeal solutions, but you really do need that centralizing, centralizing influence. And that, that's what this is. Um, and then the second piece is legislation that specifically addresses AI catastrophic risk. And we actually don't yet know the details because the bill has just been introduced. This is like fresh off the presses. But what's really exciting about this is it is the first time that legislators anywhere really around the world are paying attention to catastrophic risk from AI, to the warnings that we've been getting for right. quite a while now from, from the AI community. So, so, so tell me, and then our listeners across the country are like, okay, cool, cool. Why does this matter to me? Why should I care? Why does this matter? Right. Well, so AI systems are being deployed, obviously, around the world and, and throughout our lives in, in various very important ways. We start to depend on them for safety critical applications. And so when you start to see these systems fail, you know, self-driving cars are a great example, right? We see loss of life. Uh, we see all kinds of more minor things like, you know, bias issues and so on. But when we talk about global catastrophic risk, I mean, everybody's got a stake in that. If you imagine the deployment of like autonomous weapons that come up with dangerously creative solutions to their programmed objectives, like we talked about, it's not hard to imagine that leading to a runaway escalation, for example. And you, know, you could create a, a hot war out of, out of a cold one if you're not very careful. So uh, that's kind of there those two aspects, the sort of day-to-day -day piece where it's like, we don't want a self-driving car to crash into us. Mm. But there's the bigger picture thing, the, the almost geopolitical world story that now is finally getting that attention. I, I, I'm speaking to uh, Jeremy Harris. Jeremy, I'm going to admit something to you. I don't want you to judge me, okay? Go for it. <laughs> I nerded out about a month ago, and I actually downloaded this is, and I killed a lot of trees because that's just, I, I didn't know it was going to be this long. It was a mistake. I couldn't stop that. Like, I was at the office. I'm like, I'm going to read the um, U.S. congressional hearings on AI, right? To, to see how they're doing. This was before this bipartisan committee. It was like 500 pages where they were doing hearings on artificial intelligence. It was so dopey. Like, the level of knowledge of the elected officials was, and, and I'm no expert, I'm no Jeremy Harris, but it was like, oh my God. It was like, it was like, is rock and roll going to, 
kill the youth. Like it was like, you know, it was like Al Gore's wife talking about, you know, rock music. Or it just didn't work for me. How smart are these people? Like how like I know you've briefed uh, governments about this. Like how up to speed are the legislators making laws about AI? Do they even know what they're talking about? Yeah, I think that's a really good question and probably the most important question of our time, to be candid. I mean, I'm biased, obviously, I would think that, but it's certainly a really important one. So you see a big spectrum uh, when you talk to, to policymakers and, and uh, legislators. So like in Canada, for example, the conversations I have range from people who confuse AI with like blockchain to people who've actually been tracking this stuff really closely. And frankly, I find that super encouraging. There are MPs in, in the Canadian Parliament today who are remarkably kind of focused on, on this category of risk. It, it's still a little like, the weird thing is, it's a little taboo to talk about because it sounds like science fiction. But increasingly, with, with moves like this U.S. Senate bill, uh, the conversation started to come out in the open more and more. The same is true in the U.S. Actually, there you see folks who have really, really good uh, research staff, really good aides who help to analyze this sort of thing. And so you see a really kind of inconsistent spectrum of issues. But to your point, very often, like, a debate is going to degrade into like lowest common denominator stuff about like how is Facebook like using AI to ban whatever and, yeah. and that's really not productive. Yeah. What, what's going on in Canada? I know you've briefed it. You, you've been part of trying to educate some of our politicians. Um, are we doing anything here? So currently we're not. One of the main things I think we have to do is set up a parliamentary study, a committee study on the public safety risks of AI. I think there's a ton of low hanging fruit. But right now, that game of whack-a-mole that you just talked about, where like you know an AI issue pops up in one department and gets you know dealt with piecemeal and then another, that's very much the story of AI risk in Canada. There's like literally nobody officially tracking this in a centralized manner, um, and given the pace where this technology, uh, which this technology is moving, like that's a that's a big oversight. So I think that's the first step. I think we need to go much further though. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff we need to put in place. We need to be tracking the capabilities of AI systems through a public safety lens. I think that involves setting up new structures, a lot like right. the interagency committee that the U.S. is considering. Jeremy Harris, who's part of it. Listen, I, what I love having you on is, A, I learned so much. B, you're right. The, the last thing they want to do is be reactive. This, the technology is moving right. faster than our understanding of it and our legislation. Jeremy Harris is part of making sure that we are all up to speed. Thanks, my friend. I hope you're enjoying the summer co-founder of... Uh, Alethia AI, and uh, check out the Towards Data Science podcast, folks. It's great. Jeremy, I really appreciate it. We're taking a break for an astronaut next. Time in your car doesn't have to be time wasted. Join the evolution of talk radio. This is The Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. I don't know about you, but it's always good to talk to an astronaut. Are astronauts afraid that all that travel is going to make them weak? I have met a lot of astronauts, and I, 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 I regard them as some of the coolest people in the world. But there's a recent study that said bone loss in 17 astronauts who were on the ISS, the International Space Station, was significant and can be lasting. I was wondering, like, we should talk to an astronaut about that. And so Dr. David St. Jacques is an astronaut, one of Canada's great astronauts, and he's been a friend of the show for a while. Uh, first of all, how are you, sir? How's things? Do you miss space? How's the family? 
Hey, Evan, how are you? Well, I am happy on Mothership Earth <laughs> yeah. with my family. And, you know, uh, one of the things that happened to me during my space flight is that I realized that we are all always in space. We are in space right now. Am I, you know, in Montreal, in Quebec, in Canada, in North America, on Earth, or in space? All of the above. Yeah, you're in space. I know. I, I feel like you, you could either just smoke a joint and figure that out or go up in space. But no, I get that. We're all in space, but you've been really in space. Like, you've been in zero-G space. Zero-G yeah. seems a little different and cooler. Yeah. Like, I don't want you to pretend that you and I are the same because we both are technically in space because you're an astronaut and I'm just like a dude on the planet. But what, what's the drill with um, the effects of space travel on human bones? What is that? Yeah, so this is actually... so. Going to space is fun and cool because you, you see the Earth and you float around, but it's very bad for you, basically. And it's bad for you because we are, our bodies have evolved on Earth in the presence of gravity and in the environment of Earth, so we're well fit to life on Earth. You go to space, all sorts of things go wrong with your body. One of the things that goes particularly wrong is bone strength because bones are very expensive to maintain for your body. If you don't use them, your body basically dissolves them away and you start to pee your bones out. You can measure calcium leaving in your you urine. You are peeing your yeah. bones out in yeah. space? That is yeah. the best sentence I've ever heard. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. So, uh, so What happens? Because, What's because happening? Because, well, you kind of become the ultimate couch potato because everything is lightweight and easy to do. So because you don't need strong bones, then your body thinks, hey, I don't really need to maintain this architecture. Let's get rid of uh, some of this. And this is a process that can happen to anybody on Earth. If you, you know, do less exercise, then you will lose bone strength. Everybody, as we age, we lose bone strength. That's osteoporosis. You know, I'm sure some of your listeners uh, have this or know someone, an older person who has osteoporosis, basically means you are more fragile and more susceptible to fractures. And it happens to astronauts, even though we're young and healthy and everything you want. Like, aren't you out there? I always see you guys exercising. You're always running on treadmills and doing stuff. That stuff, that's not enough to stop the bone degradation? Well, so that's why we exercise, actually. So we're trying to figure out how much exercise do you have to do to kind of wake up your bones? Hey, I actually do need you. I do need you. Please don't dissolve. You know, don't let me pee you out. So (laughs) we, uh, we do about two hours of intense exercise a day. Two hours a day? Yeah, a day. A lot of running, cycling, or kind of weightlifting. you got to crunch your bones. you got to load them up. But for 22 hours a day, we're floating around. So, you know, it's hard to So what was the effect? Battle. Like, when you got back, I'm just looking at this study. They were saying the research shows that microgravity or, or, or zero-G uh, was, for people who are up there, you know, on average about five and a half months, they had, on average, exhibited 2.1 reduced bone mineral density at the tibia, the lower leg, uh, a year after returning, and nine didn't ever recover bone mineral density. Like, like exactly. this could be permanent loss. It is permanent loss for most of us. Uh, some lucky astronauts kind of almost recover completely, but nobody recovers totally. Uh, so... Like, that do you feel that? Like, do you, or is that just like, whatever, I lost 2% of well, my bone density, or do you actually feel it? I don't feel it. I mean, if I broke my leg, you know, skiing, I would feel it. Uh, but what it does is it's a, it kind of makes my bones 10 years older than the rest of me. I'm 52, but my bones are like the bones of me at age 62. So I'm wow. forever 10 years older in terms of bone strength. Wow. So it kind of hastens 
the natural decline of bone strength if you want. God, when people say you just pi- you when people say you just pissed it all away, you really actually did. <laughs> you really did. <laughs> so what we're trying to figure out with these studies is now that we're going, you know, I was in space station seven months, did a lot of exercise. Okay, we can do that. People are going to go to Mars. They're going to be gone for years in a very small spacecraft with far less exercise equipment. We're trying to figure out how dangerous is that? What are, what, what's the risk of fracture? What actual, you know, kind of strength will their bones have lost so we can be prepared and mitigate it, maybe figure out medical ways to, uh, to help prevent that bone loss. And that's where the magic happens. That's the magic of spaceflight. The hardship of that environment makes us scratch our heads to figure out these problems for astronauts. But lo and behold, if we could prevent bone loss in astronauts, everybody would benefit from that, right? That would be a revolution and, uh, you know, and aging. Uh, because we could make, you know, we could prevent fractures in, in the elderly. So right. space flight sometimes works like that. It's like an, a, a, just a little spark to scratch our heads and figure out solutions to problems we might not have otherwise thought of, and then lo and behold, everybody benefits. Yeah, but it's interesting. Uh, as I was speaking to astronaut David St. Jacques, um, what's incredible, you know, Elon Musk was just tweeting out, uh, in our lifetime, people will go to Mars, but you're going to have to exercise hours and hours and hours a day or else you will waste away up there. That is, yeah, that's, uh, you know, on Mars, there's some gravity, about like, you know, 40% of the Earth. So maybe that's enough to keep your bones awake. You know, maybe it'll be a little lost, but not so bad. The trip there is going to be probably nine months, and the trip return, another nine months. So it's those trips that are kind of treacherous. Right. Oh, so, oh so, by oh, the way, so, someone's asking me this, David. How do yeah. you lift weights in space? Someone's asking me. That's a good question. And yeah, ask yeah. David about the eye pressure problem in space. I don't know what that means, but I got a lot of listeners. Go ahead. Uh, two things. So, all right, good question. So, exercise in space. So, we have a bicycle. That's obvious, easy. You have clips and no saddle, but just clips. And it's just a regular bicycle. That actually feels just like riding a bicycle on Earth when you're standing up. That's sitting. Easy. We have a treadmill. That's more tricky. How do you run in space? Basically, you wear a harness with rubber bands that attach you to the treadmill. And that way you can keep, kind of remember how to walk and move all those bodies. And every step kind of bangs on your, you know, on your bones and your hips and reminds them that they need to be strong. Weightlifting is a bit more tricky. As your listener pointed out, you, know, you can't use dumbbells, right? That would not be very difficult. So we use a, a complicated machine that uses pistons. So you uh, are fighting against like vacuum tubes. So with that, we can basically do the most exercise you could do in a gym. Uh, deadlifts and curls and sit-ups and all that, but always fighting against the resistance of, a, of an evacuated piston. That's, that's the gist of it. Other question was, oh, yeah, eye pressure. So among the many, many things that affects astronauts in space, another annoying one is that some astronauts come back to Earth with some permanent vision loss. Not full, they're not blind, but peripheral vision loss, and we're not quite sure why that is. We think there's a damage to the optical nerve caused by an increase in brain pressure because the fluid in your body and when you're in your oh, all tends to go up, right? On Earth, everything falls to your feet, so the pressure in your head is controlled assuming that gravity present. You go to space, you kind of get a bloated a, red at, face and a bloated brain, and that could damage your optical nerve. Uh, Dr. David Sinjak, Canadian astronaut. I got to go, but I love this. Thank you. I love talking to you. You're so informative and helpful. Uh, Listen, good luck. I know you're strong in exercising, and folks, take good care. That's David St. Jacques. What a great guy.